the Spirit of Jazz podcast, where music dances with mystery, with your hosts, Bill Carter and Jeff Kellum. Welcome back. It's season two, our first episode. The name of the podcast is The Spirit of Jazz, and your co-hosts are the Reverend Bill Carter, who sits there in Pennsylvania, and the Reverend Jeffrey Stanton Kellum, who sits here in upstate New York. And the two of us are going to talk a little bit about the spirit of jazz in church. We've been talking about jazz, the records and tapes and CDs and in performance. But Bill, I don't think we've spent a lot of time talking about jazz within the sanctuary. Oh, there's so much to say. How long do you have, Jeff? Well, you've had 40 years, so (laughs) I don't know whether we can condense that into about a 20-minute episode here, but as we were preparing for this program, you mentioned that your first jazz in a church sanctuary was in 1983. I was in my first year at a seminary in New Jersey. On weekends, I had a position as a student assistant helping out in the congregation, doing whatever the head pastor wanted us to do, mostly youth ministry, some helping out with the worship service, reading scripture texts, offering a prayer, and then afterwards meeting for a little kind of conversation about how that went. And he decided uh, that he wanted to do a series through the year of worship services that come from a variety of traditions. So for Reformation Day, we had a string quartet, Buxtehuda, I think is what they played. There was a Bach prelude or two, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of progressed forward from there. And he said, how about if you do a jazz service? And I said, really? He said, yeah. You had some background in jazz. Yeah. When I went to the, the seminary, I had been playing four or five nights a week as a jazz musician, and then that I would had given that up. First question then was repertoire. What do you play? Mm-hmm. I mean, I could mess up a couple of hymns. And I did that, but but what else? And when do you play? So I thought, well, there's the music in the beginning as people gathering. There's the music at the end when they're they're all taking off. There's some music when they take up the offering and maybe some special music. All that could be jazz. Fortunately, I had a couple of resources. I had an old spiral-bound book I picked up when I was a teenager that had jazz tunes and transcriptions of jazz performances in it. In there was a piece by Duke Ellington called Meditation, Hmm. and another piece called Praise God, Psalm 150. I thought, I don't know what this is, but meditation sounds kind of like a prayer, so I, I worked that up. And then Psalm 150, it was a small sketch of an orchestral score. It looked like his band had played this. And these were the days before the internet. Who do you ask? Right. If you can't just type in Ellington Psalm 150 and see what pops up like you can now. For listeners, if you did that, you would find something from his second sacred concert recorded at St. John the Divine, I believe, in New York City. Uh, one of three different sacred concerts that Ellington put on. And it was an instrumental piece that actually was portrayed as a baritone saxophone solo, but the melody was a recitative of the psalm, Psalm 150. So anyway, I got some of that worked up. I found a bass player and a drummer, both rock and rollers, so it didn't swing like I wanted it to. We had a choir director who was game, and that was that. And that was a Sunday morning, the regular worship Sunday morning, Plainfield, New Jersey. Yeah. 
which coincidentally uh, was the pianist Bill Evans' hometown. <laughs> Jazz research and proliferation of study materials has grown uh, in those 40 years. There's a lot more available information now. So that, that experience stuck with me. That was at, other than the occasional piece for a seminary chapel service, or in my first church, the choir had a spaghetti supper as a fundraiser, so I play a little cocktail piano, and some wiseacre put a cup with a dollar bill on top of the piano for tips, and <laughs> kind of a joke. Then I came to this church, and I think I've told the story in the podcast before, and I put together my first jazz service here in the fall of 1993. Ten years later. Maybe 92, but 92, 93, somewhere in there. I drew on that same material. I pulled it out of the file that I'd used in Plainfield, New Jersey. At that point, I had worked up a couple of other hymns, Amazing Grace. I could do like a rock and roll version of that, and... Joyful, joyful, we adore the aversion I still use. And people went crazy. In a good way. Yeah, okay. The difference was that I was the pastor and I was the preacher and I was committed to two things. One was it had to have integrity as a worship service mm -hmm. because I had been to jazz vespers and jazz worship services that it was basically a sanctified jam session. Those experiences are still out there. The other thing I was committed to was musical integrity. I wanted something that was authentically jazz, not jazz-like or jazzy, but but jazz with improvisation, with solos, with rhythm and harmony. And the first time I did that in my current church in northeastern Pennsylvania, it was a big hit. Everybody said, what are you going to do next week? I said, I'm going to start planning for the next one for next year, which is 51 weeks away. And when that rolled around, I still had some questions about repertoire. What do we play? But I had worked on some things. That's a bit of my history. And and we're looking, I think, the first Sunday of September. So this episode goes live on the 1st. On the 3rd of September, we'll be doing what I believe is our 32nd Jazz Communion on Labor Day weekend. We are featuring the music of trumpeter Lee Morgan. So each year you take a theme or, or a musician or a style of music and use that as kind of the framing device for the worship service beyond the reformed worship liturgy that's already in place and this year it's lee morgan which is an interesting choice where did you come up with it blue note artist lee morgan well uh over the summer and and before we've been playing some of his music I've kind of rebranded a portion of our presby bop music as the blue note band 
and Blue Note referring to the Blue Note record label. And uh, we've been playing music at a couple of concerts, a festival here or there. And I thought, since the, it's already in the guy's ears, let's see how we can kind of put this together. Uh, Lee Morgan had a rather troubled life. He was an extraordinary trumpeter. He died in his early 30s, shot to death by his common-law wife in a nightclub in New York. Wow. He had uh, been in and out of rehab situations, uh, had a little trouble with needles and substances. And yet, in the thick of it all, he kept creating new songs. And wow, what a trumpeter. And in our case, if you've got somebody like Jeff Stockham playing the uh, trumpet parts, and he and I hold that music kind of in common, yeah, that's what we're doing this year. Lee Morgan, though, didn't write preludes and um, praise the Lord offering music and, and that kind of thing. So how do you choose that repertoire to fit into a communion service in a mainline denominational church? Very carefully and not frivolously. Uh-huh circle back to my experience of some uh, jazz vespers or so-called jazz vespers. I, I took some friends to one when we were researching a jazz hymnal, which we should probably tell our listeners about in a minute. And we went to a service in upstate New York, not far from where you live. The band played Cole Porter tunes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, guys, you could do better than this. <laughs> you could play a hymn tune. You could develop that. You could create new music. Yeah, Or you could go deeply into the jazz tradition and find music that resonates with what's actually happening in that room as a worship service. So I am very particular about what we do in these kind of settings. And each year when we take on a different theme or a different musician, it's a bit of a laboratory experience for me. I, you know, I get out my test tubes and the Bunsen burners and I cook up something and let's see how this works. Yeah, make sure you don't blow it up. That's right. It might work. It might not. Mm. So let me say to our, our listeners that when it comes to setting up a worship service, I'm very much a traditionalist. Uh, I would rather take something that is time-honored as a structure and then use that as the platform for doing things. If there's a prelude music, uh, last week in my church, it was a piece from Bach. Well, what if it's a piece from Brubeck? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the postlude music which if people want to hear us play for a while, we may play two, three, four songs. You know, it's not a concert, but it's an extended postlude and people can enjoy it. And in between, we follow the basic format of how worship service would unfold. So I stand up and say, good morning. Um, I introduce the people in the band. A liturgist that is a worship leader will lead a, a call to worship, which almost always comes from a verse or two from the Psalms. That yeah. refers to music. Right. Then we do a hymn, which is often shaped like a performance of the featured musician. So that's part of the fun as I cook this up. I know Lee Morgan liked to play a lot of hard bop tunes in F minor. So what's a hard bop tune in F minor that I can arrange that the congregation can sing mm. by a cantor and the band can improvise around it? Yeah. Okay, not everybody can do that, but that's something I'm able to do and and enjoy. And your congregation has not gotten used to this necessarily, but they are <laughs> they're not trained, but they certainly know the tradition and are willing to give you the permission and you give them the permission to kind of uh, swing the the hymn. 
Well, that's true. I don't know if they're trained or if they're broken down or worn down. <laughs> Melted. Acquiesce and say, well, here it goes again. But yeah. I have the gift of longevity here. So I, I've been able to see some things through and develop them over time. You know, first couple of times we did this, one woman said, well, I'm not coming if it's jazz. Yeah. And I said, well, that's fine. Hope to see you the week after that. And she was back. But she just wanted to express her concern. One year when we were presenting the music of Charlie Parker, a married couple in our congregation, somewhat conservative, said, well, we're not coming because we know enough about him that we don't want to glorify that man. I said, well, we're glorifying God. Yeah. You know, I've picked a nice text from Ecclesiastes. My life is like re reaching for smoke, which pretty much describes Charlie Parker. <laughs> right, right. Well, the oh. other thing about the service, though, is that it's packed. I don't know another church on Labor Day weekend yeah. that is full. Uh, people, it, it's not only your congregation, but folks outside the community are also coming because it's so different and spiritually uplifting and dare I say, fun. I imagine that church is fun. Yeah. Yeah, I might have told you that the first time we did this, someone had sent out a press release to the news stations, and they showed up with their cameras. And in one of the interviews, the young lady with the microphone and the camera said, uh, you know, usually what we're reporting on for a holiday weekend is fireworks, accidents, and traffic fatalities. It's nice yeah. to be able to talk about something else. Bye. We should move toward a couple of resources that uh, that you have worked up through the years. Sure. One is the jazz hymnal. Yeah. Uh, swing it, a new song. Yes, yeah, swing a new song to the Lord. It's not yes. just a song. Uh, it was uh, created through a grant uh, from funds from the Lilly Endowment. Uh, a team of folks from our church worked with me on it. Uh, we had some funding to be able to commission jazz musicians to write some pieces for it. Um, Dave Brubeck threw in three or four pieces of his own nice. I mean, settings of hymns and um, worship settings that, that nobody knew about and he could never have gotten published another way. Wow. Deanna Witkowski, who we've talked to in a previous episode, threw in some things, uh, some others. Uh, Swing a New Song to the Lord is available on a website, presbybop.com. 
And about 60 pieces of music, including settings of psalms that are experiential, some settings of hymns, which are public domain, meaning it's the melody reharmonized and set in a singable way so that the copyright, original copyright, is long expired. Right. So the composer or the arranger now has presented something else. And when we were developing that, it was extremely important that we make this congregational music. We had the opportunity uh, to have a soup lunch with Alice Parker, the great choral um, conductor and arranger. She met with our team, and we just basically had one question. What makes a song singable? Wonderful. That kind of shaped everything. It was extraordinary. Yeah. So that's that's a resource. It includes some of the pieces that we use in our jazz service. Uh, we have a litany of confession set to a blues. I mean, why not confess to the sound of the blues? Um, that's in there, as well as different affirmations and different pieces of music that can be used for worship service. So that's available through the website, presbybop.com. That's right. That's and then there. the other resource is something that uh, you and I worked on it many is. years ago, but it's still available. It's a, a, a DVD mm -hmm. called Jazz, Jazz Belongs in Church. Church, yeah. Uh, in fact, why don't we pause here and let's let our listeners hear just a, a clip or two of a, a worship piece from that. Presby Bob Quartet uh, playing uh, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, with a full house of people here at First Presbyterian Church in Clark Summit. We did the, the video, uh, which includes The Seven Joys of Jazz mm -hmm. and, uh, with Bill. It has a conversation with um, Warren Cooper, a, a jazz mm -hmm. vocalist right. who has sung with a band. And then there's an actual just about hour-long jazz worship service, which is included in the DVD. So uh, it's a great resource, uh, along with a uh, discussion guide. or a, a right. guide. Yeah, well, and, and both available through the Presby Bop website. Uh, the DVD actually also exists now as an MP4 uh, video file uh, that can be rented or downloaded permanently. The study guide is there for free. Great. Uh, it, it's both the culmination of a lot of our work, but it's also a precursor of our, our next big project, which we'll tell everybody about in a, a future episode. Yeah, I know what you're referring to, and that's going to be uh, coming up in just an episode or two. We'll start talking about that that project. So, um, so I guess that's what we're thinking about today. Jazz uh, belongs in church. Jazz is welcomed into church, and it reminds me that probably the first great jazz performer, at least 
distinctively jazz, was a cornetist who lived in New Orleans by the name of Buddy Bolden. And he was a Baptist. Mm. And he took his horn to church and he led them in the hymn singing. And they had a grand old time. Well, thank you, William. Encourage our listeners to join us uh, in this enterprise by submitting questions, making comments, and you can do that through the website, pressbebop.com. And you can find previous episodes of The Spirit of Jazz from the first season at that same uh, web address. That's right. There's a whole wealth of material, and it's all out there for free. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for joining us for The Spirit of Jazz. Thanks for listening to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is a production of Presby Bop Music. To find out more about Presby Bop, our music, concerts, and recordings, please explore our website at www.presbybop.com. And send us a note telling us what you think about the Spirit of Jazz. We'd love to hear from you. Check in with us again next time. I'm Jeff Kellum. And I'm Bill Carter. Thanks for tuning in.